This morning, I want to just take 20 minutes, and then we're going to be very quick and brief. But I want to start off, we, we're landing the series called There Goes the Neighborhood. We've done it for four weeks, and the whole concept of the series is you may be living, you know that phrase very well, you're living in a, an area, and the dodgy neighbor moves in. And you throw your hands up in, in despair, and you say, there goes the neighborhood. There goes the neighborhood. But we, we've been looking at that phrase, and we wanted to turn it on its head and shift mindsets and say, maybe what if we as a church got a different perspective of this, and we started seeing the benefit of us moving into dodgy areas, moving into our workplaces, which may not be the most holiest of places by our first estimation, but we move in there and we turn this thing on its head. And when we walk into work, when we walk into the shops, when we walk into that home, when we walk into our areas of influence, the enemy throws his hand up in dismay and goes, there goes the neighborhood for God's glory, for God's kingdom. We just dropped a phrase in our hearts that the world live with TGIF, thank God it's Friday. They live for the weekends. And sometimes the church lives with TGIS. Thank God it's Sunday. We just want to make it through the week, keep our head down, sin as little as possible, and just get through. When we're actually saying it's supposed to be the other way around, the church wake up on a Monday morning going, TGIM. It's time for the church to shine. There goes the neighborhood, Monday through Friday. We believe 100% that we invite the world to church on a Sunday, and we send the church to them Monday to Saturday. That's what we believe. Is that all right? That's the background to this, this series, but I want to land it in a somewhat bizarre fashion with a bizarre story in Genesis chapter 9. It's a bizarre story, and I sometimes think this life we live is kind of bizarre as well. So I, I dive right in, and this story, you may know the background to it. There's a man named Noah. He's got quite a hit movie coming out with Russell Crowe very soon, so he's obviously done very well, but some background about Noah is this. Let's go speedily through it. He built a boat, quite a big one. He sailed it to a shore, he landed it. He got out, he planted a vineyard in celebration. As most Stellenbosch people will know, planted a vineyard, the wine, the grapes got ripe, he crushed them, he made some alcohol, he drank it, he got drunk, and he followed it up by getting naked and lying on his bed. Sounds like a typical week for most table view people, so just moving on. But uh, this was the bizarre story that Genesis 9 opens with a man named Noah a hero of our faith who built a boat, planted a vineyard, got drunk, and then got naked. Lying there, embarrassed, and lying in his filth and his drunkenness, lying there, he had three sons. Ham, possibly names when Manoah had another drunken episode, maybe, I'm just thinking, just reading into the scripture. Ham, Japheth, and Shem. Ham walked into the bedroom, the scene where Noah is lying on his bed naked in his drunken state, and Ham walks in, he looks at this, he's probably one of the naughty, rebellious of the three. He giggles at this, he takes his iPhone out, takes a photo, hashtag Instagrams it and sends it to his older brothers. And says, look at dad, naked again. How funny, LOL. <laughs> then he walks out, his brothers are like a bit irritated by this immaturity and they say, what are you doing, Ham? This is, this is our dad, you can't just dishonor him like this. So they walk in, they decide to walk in backwards because they don't want to look on their dad's nakedness and shame and embarrassment. They get a blanket and they cover their dad's nakedness. And they walk out. This is where the story gets a bit crazy. Because what happens next is Noah wakes up. In his embarrassment, you can imagine the shame he's feeling. He looks on Twitter, he goes to his feed in this drunken haze. And he sees his son's putting photos of him on, on, on Twitter. And he's embarrassed and he gets angry. He reacts to anger even though he's embarrassed and naked and drunk. He gets angry. And he storms out of the tent, and as often happens in our lives, when we're angry, when we're embarrassed, we do stupid things. And he lashes out. He says, Ham! 
And Ham comes running. Yo, yo, what's up, Dad? And he just starts to berate and says, you are useless. You're no good. You're good for nothing. You've always done. You've pushed it too far. You've pushed your dad too far. I want nothing to do with you or your children. You are a disappointment to me, boy. And Ham skulks off a bit embarrassed and, and it's an awkward moment. And the dad tries to compose himself and looks at his two older boys, Japheth and Shem, and says, and you guys, you guys are good guys. I wish he could be more like you. I want to bless you, boys. I bless you. I'll back you. Your future, I'll do whatever you want. I'll pay for you and your kids' studies and your kids after. I'll pay for everything. You too, I'll give you everything. That, oh, he's dead to me. He's done way too many times. Bizarre story that I believe we need to look at this morning. What happens in this moment, if we find the context of this moment, Noah, in this moment of embarrassment, turns to Japheth and Shem, his two older good boys, and he blesses them. And he turns to Ham and he curses them. And we have to understand that this was a patriarchal society. What that meant was what the, the fathers in the nation, the fathers in the society, what they said went. If they gave their son a thumbs up, that was as good as paying for tuition, as paying for dedications, paying for flights for grandkids. He was declaring, I'm everything that is mine and my future, I'm determining that your future will be good. In that culture, fathers determined futures. So this was not just a slip moment of a, a rash moment of the tongue. Right there, as, as good as a thumbs up, as good as a pat on the back was from a dad, as good as a moment of the dad saying, this is my boy with whom I love and I'm so proud of him. As good as that moment and that moment catapulted kids into a future of joy and abundance, so too did a curse when he said, I curse you, Ham. And he says, I throw you out. I want nothing to do with you. That curse would follow that boy and his family around like a cloud till the end of his days and into generations ahead. These things held so much power. So we want to find out why this is important. As you will see, if you follow the line, you track the line of Japheth and Shem, those who were blessed, out of their line, out of this blessing, came the nation of Israel. And out of that nation came a man named David after God's own heart. And out of that line came a man named Jesus Christ. So profound, the light a father declares over some sons and life and life to the full explodes out of their family line. But what I found even more appealing or exciting to look at, or maybe not so appealing, is looking what happened with Ham, the unfortunately named Ham. He had an older son named Canaan, and Canaan had an older son named Sidon. And if we follow the trail, and I want to take us through Scripture very, very quickly here. We follow the trail of Sidon, the, 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 the grandchild of Ham, those who've been cursed, the cousins who've been put out. And you see, we follow the story, the Israelite family, that clan so growing this way, the Canaanite family, Ham's relatives went this way. And what started off is a bit of irritation from brothers, a bit of animosity saying, you're an irritation, please stay away from us, Ham. And it grew a little bit more, dissent grew and grew in their hearts. And no longer, it wasn't just now, oh, we don't invite them to the wedding. It grew a bit more than that to a state where you find in Judges chapter 10, the Israelite nation which has grown, kids have had kids and kids have had kids. The nation has grown, they've become a nation called Israel. And another nation called the Sid Sidonians, those coming from the, the offspring of Ham, come and they start oppressing the nation of Israel. They are at war with each other. The Israelites are at war with their cousins and there's hatred growing up in their hearts. What has happened? Why are these two nations at war? Because a father cursed the son. I want to tell you right now that wounds fester. 
Wounds do not just affect the person directly that you're hurting. They affect generations to come. I want to take us further in the story. What happens is the story unravels and goes a bit further, and we, we find this character named Solomon, David's son, an Israelite king from the line that Noah blessed. Solomon, the wisest man there could ever be. I'm sure he wore glasses like mine, because I think I'm looking pretty sharp. <laughs> or as Fiona says, so take what she says, eh? Solomon comes, this king, this godly king, but he and they've grown up, and this culture is festered inside of them. They're putting, they don't want anything to do with their cousins. They're the people who politically have oppressed us. The Sidonians have come and put their stamp on them and try to crush them out. But Solomon comes along, and he looks, and he marries a woman. He's told, we don't marry those people. But he ends up going and takes two wives from the tribe of Sidonia, from the Sidonian tribe. He takes two wives, and these two women lead his heart astray from the one true God, and to follow after other gods. So not only now does this nation start eradicating, Israel's a nation eradicates because the, politically the Sidonians are oppressing them, but spiritually the, the rot has got deepened at a spiritual level that he's taking the men, the men after God and turning their hearts. Why? Because the father cursed the son. We move on. A few generations later, a king named Ahab, King Ahab, an Israelite king, has come onto the scene and he now, it's not even a big problem for him to marry a Sidonian woman. It's easy. So he takes a Sidonian woman named Jezebel. You might have heard her if you're familiar to church circles. She is the wicked witch of the East. She's a woman that, that Ahab has no trouble. He has been so distorted and the thing inside him is so wrong that he just takes Jezebel as his wife, the Sidonian woman, and things start to go awry. She not only is just against him, she starts having one by one the prophets of God slaughtered. So not only politically or spiritually, but the whole religious sector that the framework the society was built upon was being eradicated. Why? Because the father cursed the son. We move on. This prophetic thing gets so irritated that the prophets of a generation later, named Isaiah in chapter 23, he gets up and he blasphemes. He says, those from Tyre and Sidon, not only just one area, but he branches out to another area. Those in any relation to him, those of Tyre and Sidon, will be cursed forevermore. The prophet Jeremiah, he also in three chapters gets up and he gets the big stick out and whacks them even harder, saying they'll go down to the pit. Those from Sidon will rot in the grave. Ezekiel, one who's not afraid of giving anyone a bashing, joins in the parade and throws a whole load of poo on them and says, Sidon will burn, paraphrased. These are the prophets. They heaped dissension and brokenness. Why? Because the father cursed the son. I want to tell you, this is, maybe the story's not so bizarre after all, because isn't this the reality of our lives today or what we see in the nations and history around the world? You might have come across American history. I've been watching the movie 12 Years a Slave. It's up for an Oscar. Very graphic, very hectic, but very awakening. But it's a topic that's been dealt with a lot in movies and cinematic places. But what happened was some American forefathers years ago decided, we're in, they're out. We're the chosen people. Politically, they decided that. Spiritually and even religiously with the Bible, they opened up and they declared that slavery is all right. They blessed their people and turned and said, but you will be cursed. And because what the fathers do up there is filtered down for generations, generations, the black American population grew up under oppression and brokenness. Why? Because a father cursed the son. 
What happened? We look all over Africa. The colonizing parties came in and they said, we are in, you're out. We are God's people. You are just heathens, pagans. We're in, you're out. And they, they defined us politically, spiritually, and religiously to such an extent that we look at all over Africa now. What is happening in the, in the African people is they're desperate to be free. They're desperate to raise up their father of a nation because they're desperate for a father to bless them. Every African state is declaring, this is the father of a nation who will bless us, who will set us free from the curse of the colonizers. Because inside of everyone, there's a desperation for the blessing of a father. Because you know how crippling this thing can be. I want to tell you that the Sidonians were seen as the proverbial bad neighbors, the evil empire next door, the cousins we don't talk about. The common narrative, as it, as it settled into Israel, Israeli population, as the years went by, as this thing get, got deeper and deeper entrenched, this hatred, this prejudice against this nation got so deep inside of them that the language got commonly used, they threw around, they are heathens, they are the pagans, we are Israel, the chosen people, and they are cast into outer darkness. See, they are pagans, the word even that rose up, they started describing them as dogs. And it wasn't even a racist term, it was okay. If we say it about them, it's all right. They are dogs. This thing had got so deep inside of them. They started, they went, they said they called them the children of the curse. They called them the lost evil. They went separate routes there to avoid this population group. Even though it would have been make more sense to go through that area, they'll go the long way around because we want nothing to do with these people. But then that's where the story shifts. A man named Jesus. A man that we kind of love a heck of a big deal. He enters a story, and it's where the shift happens. In Matthew chapter 15, there's an account where he engages with a group of Pharisees and Sadducees. Who are the Pharisees and Sadducees? They were the political and spiritual and religious leaders of the Israelite nation. And he deals with them in Matthew chapter 15, and these men who are pompous, who have cloaked themselves many times over to show that they're important. They put one cloak, two cloaks, three cloaks, and a headdress on to show that we are really important. And they're declaring what they have made a living from is declaring, you're in and you're out. Unless you do this, you're out. You're in, you're out. They've declared, they're the people who draw the dividing line and say who is in and who is out. Jesus encounters these people. And what he does in an incredible way, he starts lambasting them. He starts lifting up and put a mirror to their lives and saying, can you not see that even though you have cloaks and religion and you're covered, you think you're covered and important, that you're actually just drunk on your own pride, on your own arrogance, you're just drunk on this thing, you actually are naked. You're naked and you have nothing. Your religion is naked. Jesus does this to him and he says, you are embarrassed people who've just tried to cover up your embarrassment by trying to put yourself on the front foot to declare who's in or out. But Jesus was saying, little do you know, you're actually also out. But this is where well, the one bizarre story meets with another bizarre story, a story that scholars struggle with in the Bible. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. Jesus says, the title says, Jesus went with the disciples to the area of Tyre and Sidon, an area that was avoided for many centuries. He walks into this area, and he engages with a woman. Remember, it's a patriarchal society where everything is against women. A woman comes up to him, from the area of Sidon. 
A woman who has, who has been bought, whose blood has brought her into the line of the Noah that Noah cursed. A woman from the curse comes up to him and she says to Jesus, Please help me. My daughter is cursed with a demon. This whole thing, it's the whole reversal of what happened in Genesis chapter 9 where a father curses a son, a mother comes begging for freedom for a child. And Jesus says, Jesus walks on in silence. The disciples start getting irritated with her cries getting louder and louder. She tries and begs them. And what we often do with beggars in our society, what do we do? No thank you, no thank you, no time. We don't have time for you. Do you not know we're on an agenda? He's come here to set the kingdom free. What are you doing? Pushing him aside, pushing the neighbors aside. The disciples say, please, not now. What happens next is so profound. Jesus turns to her. She says, please, heal my daughter. He turns to her and says, do you not know I came for the children of Israel? Who were the children of Israel? Those that Noah blessed. Confusing. He said, don't you know that I came from the children of Israel not for those who are cursed? I came for those who are in, not for those who are out. Don't you get that? And he walked on. But still, she would not let go of him. She said, no, yes, I know. But please, my daughter, please. And Jesus turns and says something even more confusing. He said, do you not know? Why are you asking me to take the food out of the children of Israel's mouth and give it to dogs? Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Jesus taking their own racist language and using it on her. This way people get confused about this man named Jesus. But the story goes on. And this woman, who is now being offended, who's, who's had her culture offended by disciples, who's had her, 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 her whole estate offended by everything she's encountered with Jesus, and even by Jesus himself, she will not relent. She says, yes, but even the dogs get the crumbs from the master's table. If you want to note something there, is that this woman came to Jesus and she called him master. I believe so many of us sitting here, so many of us have been so offended by the church. We might have even been offended by Jesus or God himself because something he did do or didn't do. And you feel offended at him. She came and she did not allow her offense to disqualify for what she had. She came and she humbled herself for the sake of her daughter, for the sake of the future that was for her family. And she said, Master. And Jesus turned with love and compassion on his face and he said, I have never met such great faith. Go in peace, your daughter is healed. Profound account. Profound account. I want to help us here and land us this morning in this place. Who do we identify with the story? Three characters in the original story. There's a man named Noah. There's two brothers named Japheth and Shem. And there's a third name, Ham. I want to, my opinion this morning, what I believe God is saying to us is that we are all three at some sort of level. That we are knowers. We have to understand that fathers and mothers, as Jesus beautifully ties it in Matthew 15, fathers and mothers are so powerful. We have to understand that you as a dad or a mother are incredibly powerful. I'll tell you why. Because a dad who does well, a dad who's incredible, a dad who loves his children, who pays for their education, who sets him up for success, can set up a whole generation. That's powerful. 
but also equally. A dad who walks out on the mom or the dad who's at home but never there, who never gives any affirmation, never loves them or never gives any spiritual input, he can be just as powerful but destructive. I tell you, I've met children who've never known their dads, but I tell you, their dad, even though they've never known him, is the most powerful person in their life because he's derailed them in some respect. We have to understand this, that fathers determine futures. I want to ask you, what are you saying and doing over your children's life? What are you not saying and not doing in your children's lives? We have to put aside the fact that we are maybe embarrassed, we may be naked and devoid of the, everything we need to be a good father. We may be saying, you don't know what I did last night, I've disqualified myself. But we look at the woman's response, the woman who came and she put aside her humility, her pride, she put aside her pride, she, put a, she picked up her humility and she came low for the sake of her children's future. I want to tell you there's nothing more dangerous than a prideful parent. Not proud of their children, that's not wrong, but an arrogant, prideful parent. Because they refuse to humble themselves. And that destroys futures. I want to suggest right now that maybe we are like Japheth and Shem. It's a picture of the church. People who've been given the blessing, given everything they need for life and godliness. And yet Israel got stuck on this thing. They thought that they were called out to be separate from. Israel thought they were called out to be separate from when God, Jesus says that he came, he called them never to be separate, never to separate us, but he called them out to commission them for. Israel were for the world. He did not choose Israel apart from the world. He chose Israel for the world. And often what he gets stuck, this, the line of Japheth and Shem, we were blessed. Israel in fullness were giving the blessing of God and they got stuck in the fact of, great, we've got the blessing. We can choose who's in and who's out. When that was never God's intent. Maybe us as a church need to get, understand that we have to get rid of these deep prejudices that Mark preached on last week, but it's an ongoing work. We understand maybe there's a people group, there's some things in our family that we have not dealt with, we have not forgiven, but we are holding on to arrogantly, maybe justifiably, but we're holding on to it. I tell you, as if you hold on to that thing every day, the enemy declares of your life, there goes that neighborhood, as he takes a little bit more ground. The church have to let down the walls. And it begins in our own hearts. Let go of offense today. But most importantly, I believe we are Noah's, I believe we are Japheth and Shem's, but most importantly, I believe that every single one of us are Ham's. We are children who are born from the curse. I want to tell you right now, I believe in generational curses. The reason why I do is because a man named Adam sins, the Bible tells us, from one man, the whole world inherited a sinful nature. From the one man, Adam, we all are sinful. You may be wondering today, why is life so hard? Why am I up against the cold face? Why am I struggling with patience? Why am I angry? Why am I naked and embarrassed and lashing out and, and giving blessings sometimes, but mostly my life is filled with cursing and I'm struggling here? Why is it? Because the father cursed the son. But I want to tell you today, until the gospel enters our life, before the good news, before Jesus comes in, we are dirty, defiled, we are damaged, discouraged, distracted, 
and defeated. But the good news today is that when Jesus Christ rides into your story, as he did in Matthew 15 to a woman who had been birthed into disgrace for centuries, that day, Jesus came and he offended the prejudice in her heart. He offended her past. He offended everything. He rattled the generational curse in her life. And slowly he started seeing the life of God rip past that generational brokenness. As he said, your daughter is healed. You're free. I want to declare this morning that I believe in generational curses up to a point. And that point is a man named Jesus Christ. The day he walks into your story, the old is gone, the new has come. The walls come down and he offends us. But this morning, I challenge you. You might be sitting here and you may be thinking, wrestling with this thing. I want to tell you, for us to walk into the fullness he has, we have to let go of the fence of prejudice that people have had against us. Maybe the church has hurt you. The church, the line of the blessed line of Noah, Japheth and Hashem, hurts Ham. They prejudiced against the Sidonians. They weren't without fault, but there was anger against them. Sometimes that woman had to get past that paranoia, that fear, that anger to get to Jesus. But also, she had to get past the fact of her own offense she held against God. And some of us are trapped in that offense. We're still angry at God. We're still angry that he hasn't given, we, hasn't, we haven't lived the life we thought we deserved. We have to get past that offense to get to the master. My prayer this morning is that we'll exchange the word teacher for master. We'll change the word Jesus for my Lord and Savior, my everything. And that's when the blessing comes. The curse is done away with. And we are set free to carry this message to the world. Can I pray for us?